I'm Bruce Worson, pastor of His Place Community Church. The following message came from a Sunday morning right here at His Place. Who do you think you are? Or I guess I should say, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are right now? As of right now, what's your deal? You know, like what's your role and purpose? What's the very meaning of your life where you're at right now, do you know? Do you want to find out? I got a little exercise for us to do. Okay, here's what I want you guys to do. I want everyone to just sort of take a deep breath, close your eyes, I'm gonna transport you somewhere right now. Okay, here we go. Imagine yourself living in the time of Jesus and you've heard the rumors and the stories about him and one day he's passing through your town. He's coming to your town. So you join the crowd. You rush out there, you take the day off, you go join the crowd to watch and listen, and as you do, you are totally blown away. Wow, this is the Messiah. This is the guy. And so you decide, I, I got to, I, you pack up and decide that you're going to go follow him. And hundreds of others are doing it too. This is happening. And so you join him on these journeys across to other towns, and, and as you journey, you begin to understand, as you see him healing and teaching Holy moly, he's the son of God. Son of God, wow. This right here, right now, is the turning point in human history. And you're a part of it. But you think to yourself, what part? What part am I? I mean, personally, you really connect with what he's saying. I mean, is that special? What if you became one of his disciples? And while you're thinking these thoughts, right then, the crowd just stops. Without warning, Jesus turns around and he looks you square in the eyes and says, it's time. Follow me. And your heart races. It starts pumping and you start pushing through the crowd. You're nervous, but you're kind of starting to run toward him. And just then, he says, oh, no, sorry, not you. I meant the guy behind you. How do you feel? How do you feel right there in that moment? Are you A, relieved a little bit, knowing that that job was just way above your pay grade, that's not for you? Or were you B, a little bummed out because you believe that you could have risen to the occasion? Which one are you? Because even though the, the, the thought, the thought is really exciting, I think most of us feel more relief in that situation, right? Because the big, huge role like that is just scary to us normal people. And even though we love Jesus, we know he loves us, we often feel like we don't measure up to the kind of people that he really uses, right? We've read the Bible. I mean, they're like saints and superheroes, right? Think of Samson. There's a reason why he gets a comic book. Samson and his temple-toppling superhuman strength, right? And Noah, Noah, can you imagine Noah having that kind of patience, that kind of that faith and obedience with the neighbors that you have right now? I mean, that's superhuman, saintly. But then again, were they really that great? I've got a couple of scriptures I want to read you here. In Judges, it says, uh, one day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. And he went in to spend the night with her. Samson. 
Okay, well, Noah, he still must be great. Well, one day Noah became drunk on some wine he had made and then uh, lay naked in his tent. Noah? What's going on? I thought the Bible was our good people existing. Well, it turns out that almost all Bible heroes were far from perfect. We just forget. We forget what we know about them. And it's because it's part of one of our many, many brain disorders that we all share called cognitive biases. We've talked about that before, right? It's just the way that our brain is wired. And this one, this bias right here is called the halo effect. And it occurs when you know, one specific trait influences our general judgment of a person or a thing. And it can work in the positive or in the negative. I think they call it the horn effect in the negative, but it works in the positive or the negative. If somebody, for instance, is a good dancer, we tend to believe that, that you know, they're probably a good person in general as well. But bad dancers, on the other hand, well, let's face it, they probably cheat on their taxes. That's the way we see it. That's just what we do. We just ascribe that to the rest of them. And then what's so crazy is we don't even realize how shallow and judgmental we really are because it's instinctual. It's just how we're wired. But if you now check your Bible again, you will find that none of the Old Testament heroes or New Testament disciples actually measure up the way that we think. Because we overlook David's adultery, we, look, we overlook Jonah's rebellion, Gideon's idolatry, Jacob's deception, Solomon's depression, Peter's denial, John Mark's desertion, Thomas's doubt, and on and on and on. You can't find a good one in the bunch. But, be honest, isn't it a little reassuring to know that every single disciple was an imperfect, incomplete, inexperienced buffoon? I, I like that. That feels good. I mean, you got to be doing better than Judas, right? And he was one of the twelve. But because we intimately know every single one of our personal imperfections, the halo effect leads us to judge and disqualify ourselves from what we think are the more important godly roles. It's over. We're not built for that. That's for those guys over there. So before we think that we know anybody, including ourselves, we need to know that our biased brains are keeping us from seeing the whole truth. Period. You don't. We don't. We can't see it. It's a fault. It's a disability that we all share. Give me an example. It's kind of like the, the father who was pushing a cart through a grocery store. And he had a screaming baby in his cart. And he tried to keep calm and speak slowly as he reassured, we're almost done, Albert. Just don't, don't scream, Albert. I know you hate this part, Albert, but please just try not to throw a fit. And as he's checking out, a woman behind him in line says, you should be commended for your compassion with your son. And the man looks at her and says, lady, I'm Albert. I mean, the point is, in the Bible or in the supermarket, whenever people do seem to measure up, you can bet you are only seeing part of the picture. 
But because we have heard so many edited bits of Bible stories over and over again and spectacular stories and testimonies on TV and radio and in books and at events, it gets really easy for us to conclude that if God isn't doing something spectacular through us, then we're just ordinary extras in a story that stars extraordinary others. But what I want you to hear today is that you are dead wrong. We are dead wrong. That is not true. Paul makes it clear with a couple of my favorite scriptures in the entire Bible. Paul says these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. Us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. And he goes on to say, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. We might have hope. We are supposed to see ourselves in all of the people that populate God's word. We're supposed to identify with them. When you see that they're not so hot, that's good. You can relate to that. We are designed to relate to their pain, to their sorrow, to their joy, to their fear, to their courage, to their confusion, their disobedience, and their trust. These are all dimensions of all of us. Jesus actually asks about 173 questions throughout the Gospels. And it's funny because those are the exact questions that God wants you to answer. Questions like, why are you troubled? Why are you so afraid? Do you, do you want to get well? Why do you entertain evil thoughts? What do you want me to do for you? Who do you say I am? Do you understand what I have done for you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then do not do what I say? Do you still have no faith? Why did you doubt? Do you truly love me? Will you really lay down your life for me? Those questions are for you. And as we work out the answers with the help of these quote-unquote Bible heroes, there's a very unbiased, unspectacular, and undesirable truth that begins to surface. And it's summed up right here in Mark. It says, no one is good except God alone. Surprise, not Noah. Not Samson, not your neighbor, and definitely not you. Yet. And that's okay, that's fine, because he knew it would take time. Because every single one of us, all of us, are a work in progress. We're not there yet. We are getting there along the way, and we are following his lead. Paul says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's the script. He's got a script. God's the director, and none of us are ordinary extras. That is not what's going on here. We have each been cast in a starring role. That seems hard to believe, but it happens. It's quite an ensemble cast. Every single one of us, he's written a starring role in his story. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. He didn't say Samson or Noah. He said you to them and us. 
And I get it, we all find this very difficult. This is a very hard thing to believe because we're so used to putting it off on these other characters who are larger than life and we think that's who does it. We don't, we sit in the background. We're the drinking the coffee in the scene behind everyone. But you're not alone. Remember, we're looking in the Bible to identify with these people. Well, it's full of people doing the exact same thing, not believing that they could be the star of it and that they're not equipped to do it. Even old writer, producer, star of the Old Testament, Moses. Because God tells him, he says, hey Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. What did Moses say? Moses said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And he tries to prove to God his unspectacularness by saying, oh Lord, I, I've never been eloquent. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Not me. But infinitely patient, loving, all-knowing God says, okay, buddy, <laughs> I will help you. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Good bargain, but, you know, not good enough, not good enough for Moses, who's still trying to weasel out and said, oh, Lord, please just send somebody else to do it. And then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Okay, he's got a line. Everybody's got a line. Let's all learn this lesson right here, right now. One thing that really makes the Lord angry is the false humility that we aren't good enough to be used by him. That's a slap in the face. He made you. He knows exactly how good you are. And so if he's calling you to do something, you better trust him. He knows the gears that you don't know that you have. He built you for it. But this idea that we think that we're not good enough comes from this actually arrogant notion that it's our skills and abilities that accomplish his purposes. That's arrogance. That, he thinks, that we think that he needs something from us that we're not good enough. But God chose us because he knows us better than we do. Do not forget that it is his breath in our lungs and therefore when we give him the wheel, we better give him the credit too. Anything that you're good at is something that he's good at through you. Our biggest job has been and always will be just getting out of the driver's seat, letting him drive. Because God's got the know-how and there's just no room for our no thanks. Everybody involved right now in your life, everybody involved in this situation, knowing what you're made of, you and God, Everybody already knows how bad you've been, how bad we've been, and how unrighteous we remain. But in the story of how Jesus saved the world, he wants you in the car with him. You give him the driver's seat, but you're riding shotgun. He wants you in the car as his co-star. So to sum up, he does not need your competence, just your compliance. You just got to let him do what he wants to do. Say yes. John tells us how important this is. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's it, right there. That's the role of a lifetime. That's the role of a lifetime. God Jr., that's who you are. Jesus is sibling. And he sees it in you. He sees it in every single one of us. That's your role. 
You just got to let go of the role that you've been playing this whole time. You've been writing and playing this pretty miserable role. And you got to commit to his character that he wrote specifically for you. And you know how you do it? He tells us straight out, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Stop doing that. Stop writing this character for him. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And right here, this is the key. This is everything right here. Because it has always been mind over matter. Who you are is just a state of mind, your mind. And what you really think transforms who you really are. So when you really accept the role that God wrote for you, voila, you are that person. You become that person. The moment that you accept that mindset. Unfortunately, or I mean fortunately, but difficultly, that also means that you have to ditch the old you. You can't just have one without, you can't have both of them in there. You've got to make room, but you've got to throw out the old. And we're told that as well. You were taught with regard to the former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. That was you trying to write your role. But you do that to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. God Jr., that's you. Got to wrap your mind around that. But here's, I mean, here's the question. You ever, try to trade, you ever try to change your mind? You ever actually try to have an opinion and then change it to another opinion to see something one way and shift that perspective? That is hard. We are creatures of habit. It is not so easy. It takes practice. It takes perseverance. It's that bump, bump, bump that we're talking about in the transformation pro process. It's just step by step. So he challenges us daily to take up our cross and follow him in obedience so that we can shed the old selves and be stretched out and molded into his image. Because I think we don't understand this necessarily as well as we should. The spiritual life is mostly a life of determined faithfulness, little decisions, tiny steps, and unimpressive contributions. That's what gets it done. Do you perhaps remember this little nugget from the Bible? Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. Ding, ding, ding. Make sure everybody knew about it. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. And Jesus jumps on this. Calling, calling his disciples, he says, uh, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put in more than more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. Extra, extra, read all about it. Insignificant woman makes insignificant donation. Not really front page news, right? Like that doesn't seem, it seems strange that she is immortalized in the Bible and she is singled out and commended by Jesus himself. Why is that? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because Jesus sees something spectacular in her insignificance. And it has nothing to do with size or success, but everything to do with faith, fortitude, and that mindset that drove her little decision. 
Right there, she put God first, and when she did that, she put God, she valued him above herself. She had that order correct. She put, her, put God first, and he saw right there the sum of all those tiny steps transforming someone into something familiar to him, a heavenly sibling. Because loving God as our dad, seeing that relationship, valuing him, putting him there, loving God as dad, Loving God as dad is not hard. It, it just takes us accepting the role of beloved child. The second that you do that, you're done. We're told it's that simple. Corinthians, Paul says, if anyone, if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. That's it. Furthermore, we know that all things, all things work together good to those who love God. There it is. That's how you take the role. So each of us, every single day, are presented with a never-ending stream of opportunities to transform who we are by what we think, to forget our old ways and put on a new perspective and practice it. Every single day we can respond to the world with with the confident mindset of somebody who knows that their dad is God. You know what that looks like? Play that out. Imagine how you would behave if you really accepted the role and knew that your father was God, the creator of the universe. And you approached every situation that way. You can do that. Or you can slink back and believe that those big roles are meant for those others who actually do measure up. So who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? You know, his word was written to you. You know, his plan is built on you. You know, his son died for you, all so that he could just live with you. So maybe we're asking the wrong question. Maybe, I, I guess the real question always has been, who does God think you are? Who does God say you are? Who does God know you to be? It's his question to answer, not you. We just make room in our mind to hear him. So as we're jumping into this new year and we're all talking about the change that's going to happen and everything, don't resolve to change who you are. That's already set. Who you are, that's done. Forget yourself. Forget everything about you. Forget your assumptions. Forget your judgments. Forget your comparisons. And instead, resolve to change your mind. Change your mind. Change how you see it. By searching his word to find you in there. And search this world and understand his plan. So that you can know the true you that God always knew. Which is the spectacularly, insignificant, yet infinitely important, critical co-star. His child. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray, guys. Father God, we love you. We love you, Father. We love you and we thank you for showing us who we really are by pushing us past our faults and our failures. Holy Spirit, just help us to see and feel you at work in each of us and remind us that when we work with you, we all do measure up. Lord Jesus, guide us and encourage us as we take on the role that you taught us a trusting, loving, and grateful child of our Father, God. And everybody said, Amen. 
Well, thanks for listening in. Why don't you join us on a Sunday morning? If you'd like more information about the church, just point your browser to hisplacechurch.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you.